welcome back to the Sick of It podcast. Today I had a really great discussion with Megan and we spoke all about growing up with a disability slash chronic illness. I did have a little trouble with the audio, one of the audio files corrupted, so I only had the joint audio to edit with, which means that I couldn't edit out every single time I say yeah, which I normally do for the podcast. So enjoy listening to me say yeah every two seconds. Um, hopefully it doesn't annoy you as much as it annoys me. I also wanted to thank all of the new listeners. I don't know where you all came from or how you found this podcast, but there's been quite a few new listeners and subscribers. So thank you so much. And I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hi. Hi. (laughs) How's it going? Good. Sorry, my hair looks crazy. I really had to wash it this morning. So now it's um, kind of ridiculous. (laughs) That's no problem. How are you doing? I'm all right. I'm bloody tired, but I'm good. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like I feel that. I feel like this is the first like day in a few weeks where I'm actually not super tired. So I get that. Yeah, it's been hectic. I because I was working part time last year, and then I suddenly got a full time job this year. So it wasn't fully expected. Of course, it was like right after I started the podcast. Um, so it's been a bit chaotic trying to fit that in, and then health problems on top of it. I was like, I don't have time for anything. <laughs> no, and like that's the thing. Like looking after your health is a full time job on itself, yeah. and you've got to neglect one or the other. Like that's yeah, I struggle with that too. I just moved from um doing full-time in the office and hybrid and then um I got really unwell I started having seizures and now I've transitioned to 100% work from home so that started from this week so yeah new new company so that's a whole other thing um but it was yeah I had to I couldn't I lost I can't drive anymore so you know it's just you you gotta pick (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. This job I start, um, it's hybrid as well. So I start working from home two days a week this week. Like I literally wouldn't have taken a full-time job if it didn't have partially work from home. I could not do five days a week in an office every single week. No, it's not possible. So you, when you've got like chronic fatigue or chronic pain or both, um, which I know you've got both and I do as well, um, it's just not possible. And just even having that extra 45 minutes in the morning to get extra sleep, so you don't have to commute, you know, um, and just being able to access everything in close proximity makes a huge, huge difference overall. So do you want to start by telling us about yourself? Yeah. Um, so I, oh gosh, where to start? Um, so I um, found out from a young age that something wasn't quite right Um I was experiencing chronic pain from around the age of 10, 11 years old, Um, was told by multiple people that it was just growing pains. And then as I got older, it didn't get better, um, which then transitioned to the narrative that, um, oh, it's, you know, it's hormonal, like you're just going through puberty or it's just, um, you know, heavy period because you're just one of those people that has that, you just have to live with the pain. your hormones are just not in balance. It's all sorts of things. And um, I got basically overlooked very much um, and neglected by my medical team at the time. And when you've got lots of doctors telling your parents that there's nothing wrong with your kid, um, you got to sort of go with what the the experts say. 
And unfortunately for me, um, the chronic pain was a separate diagnosis, which I got later in life as fibromyalgia. Um, and it was masking a, a more um, difficult uh, situation with my heart. And I ended up having a heart attack when I was 16 years old. And I uh, got diagnosed with supraventricular tachycardia, SVT, which usually is mostly harmless for people. But unfortunately, the type that I had uh, was quite severe and put me into some very unsafe uh, rhythms at the time. Um, and I had to be uh, revived on two occasions during that episode. Um, that obviously gave me a lot of trauma um, from the whole experience. So unfortunately, developing PTSD um, from all the, the medical gaslighting, all the back and forth, and then nearly passing away as a result of that from a very young age um, was pretty full on. Uh, and then, yeah, as I've, I've gotten older, um, more health things have sort of sprung up through the woodworks at different points. So um, I've been lucky in that I've had great support network and friends and family overall. Um, it's been challenging though. Uh, not everybody is willing to sort of understand or be open-minded that I look a certain way, um, but then I'm feeling and behaving differently and it's difficult to sort of explain that Um it's difficult to wrap your head around. And I guess on, on the other side of that too, you know, throughout all of that, I was also really struggling trying to make an income, um, build a career, get all of that sort of stuff working for me. And I always got told you have so much potential. And the frustrating thing for me is like, I've got an A-type personality. So I, I have to throw everything in. And unfortunately, when you do that, your health problems catch up with you very quickly. So you get this like churn and burn sort of cycle. Um, very challenging to adapt to and, and, and to live with. And throughout all of that, um, I developed a condition called functional neurological disorder. And that has been life-changing in the worst possible way. Um, it put me in a wheelchair for a while and I've been using walking frames and walking sticks um, intermediately, like as I need them. And anytime I have a flare-up, which I can't control when they happen, um, it sets me back days and weeks and um, it's, it's been challenging. And, and now um, new symptoms have come through. So we're reviewing things again and there's other diagnostic criteria now that may change my diagnosis again. So that's a, that's in a nutshell. <laughs> and so what age exactly did your health problems start? The first signs of them was around 10 or 11 years old. Um, mm. And then it kind of catapulted from the age of 16. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So I have EDS, so that's genetic. So I was born with that. So basically six since moment I was born what was that like for you at that age did you think much about it being like relatively healthy and then 10 years later it hitting you yeah I think it's it's difficult to answer because I remember even growing up just the chronic pain I had even as a young child but it was sporadic it wasn't constant and it's hard to know as to whether it was linked or not. Yeah. Um, you know, as I said, the common thing that I, I kept being told was that it was growing pains. And so it's hard to know what fit where and, and why, but it was challenging for sure. Mm. And I think mentally, you know, going from being a kid who could run around and 
do everything and had fun and could spend hours on the trampoline and climbing trees and all sorts of stuff, you know, and then suddenly being exhausted all the time. It was really, really hard. And I masked it very well for a long time because um, I was told it's, you know, it's in your head basically it's, or it's growing pains. It's natural. There's nothing wrong with you. So, Yeah. I, um, yeah, like most of my symptoms when I was really young, like I didn't get chronic pain and stuff until I was older. So a lot of them were like injuries and things. So luckily I was taken a bit more seriously, at least by doctors anyway. Um, but yeah, I can imagine kid having chronic pain. Of course, and like they, of course they don't even take adults seriously. Why are they going to take a child seriously? And then advocating for that too is, is very challenging because as a child you don't have much of a voice and and you rely on the adults in the room to to speak for you um and it's just not something that you're taught how to do you you've got to learn and and to say my parents it's the first time they had to go through that with anybody for themselves or for their children and um you know I talk with my my mom quite openly about it now and um she always says, you know, she just did the best she could with the information she had and it was very limited information, very limited support. And, you know, what, what do you do? And did you end up missing much school because of that? I did, yeah. So um, I think the the worst of it really hit in high school. I had quite a few sick days, like coming into senior primary, but high school was when um, it really started to melt probably around grade 10. So yeah, I was about 14, 15 years old um, is when the absenteeism really started because I started getting chronic migraines and having really big issues with my sleep um, cycles, um, heavy periods, all that sort of stuff sort of contributed and I was anemic too. So mm. um, I was just sick all the time, like a little cold or flu that would get somebody else sick and then they'd be fine within a week mm. I'd still be feeling unwell ages after and then yeah with everything that happened in my senior year which was when I had the heart attack I lost three months of school yeah so trying to catch up as well like you know and like I'm a pretty studious person and I was mm. picking up like I was working while I was in school and um maintained pretty good marks and had certificate courses and everything at the same time because I was so scared and I didn't have a backup plan so I was trying to just grab all the information I could and really that probably didn't help it it more than likely increased my stress levels and contributed towards my my health condition in the end yeah did you ever feel like judgment for that like missing so much school I remember like yeah, teachers and even like people who are friends with my mom and stuff, they would always, or like family members, like always be like, why is she missing so much school? And it was like so much judgment. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. And the bullying too. Like mm. I, I had a nasty rumor spread about me. Um, I think it was grade 11 or 12 um, that I was faking it for attention. Mm. Um, I had to come to school with medical device on to do tracing of my heart. And I, I couldn't not, like I wasn't sick to stay home and they wanted me to do my normal day so yeah. they could see if there was anything happening. And I had to come with this 12 lead thing attached to me. It looked like I had a bomb strapped to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a group of girls just relentlessly bully me about that for days. Like it was awful. And 
some of the teachers were really good. Other ones just didn't care. They just yeah. like, oh, well, you know, you're not at school, so not my problem. But I'm asking for additional support or like, can you do a catch-up session with me? No, no, can't yeah. do it. Um, so it was really, really difficult. And like for you as well, like going mm. through your challenges, did you did you find the same sort of treatment? A bit. I was quite lucky from like other kids. It wasn't too bad. I am, I'm not sure where you're from. Where are you from? Brisbane. I'm from a bit of a smaller town so I'm from Bundaberg that might have made a bit of a difference um I think everyone just kind of knew I was sick and I do think there was like a bit of judgment about it but I had been sick like since primary school um I don't know like how seriously other kids took it or if they always believed me but I felt more of the judgment coming from adults not even as much teachers like a bit teachers but like yeah a lot of like adults in my life like always judging me always judging like my parents decisions to like keep me home and stuff and it was like like I noticed that even a child it was really weird I don't know it's like they cannot comprehend that a child could be sick unless you have cancer or something like no it's impossible yeah and it's always like oh, they just want to miss school they're just faking mm. it like you're 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 facilitating that um yeah I got that sort of vibe um a fair bit and you know, it, it was challenging for sure. And and then even having family members who didn't believe things as well, mm. because I guess for you, like mm. it was a little bit easier in some ways and you're lucky that you had that diagnosis very young. Cause I know a lot of people with EDS struggled to get that actually. Yeah. Diagnosed. I didn't, I didn't actually get diagnosed until I was 22. Oh, wow. But I don't know, doctors, I just, I think took most of the time, took me a bit seriously. I think because of the the symptoms and stuff I was having, you couldn't really ignore, like you could tell that they were there, that they were happening. Um, but yeah, didn't get diagnosed, but yeah, I was taken like a bit more seriously as a child by doctors. So yeah. Mm, that's lucky. That is lucky. Mm. Um, Cause yeah, depending on who you see, and I think for me, I, by the time I was able to access healthcare, I was in the chasm between pediatric and adult care. Mm. I was in between as a, a young adolescent. Um, and so, you know, I remember being taken to the children's hospital for the first couple of times, but I was almost too old to be there. Like I almost didn't even fit on the bed in the emergency yeah. room when I went in and then taken into the major hospital and nobody wants to touch pediatrics when yeah. you're in an ER. Um, so, you know, same sort of thing happens in general practice. There's just this massive dip in healthcare in the middle and that transitional care is not there. So um, it was really unlucky for me, I think, for when the symptoms started. Because if it had been when I was younger, I might have had a better outlook as well. Yeah. I would have had people around being like, oh, yeah, you've got these real symptoms as a child um, rather than at that point when it wasn't taken as seriously. Yeah. And how do you think like that has affected you growing up like that, growing up, not being believed? Um, how has it like affected you now as an adult? Oh, mate, I'm traumatized. <laughs> like, <laughs> I am broken. No, I'm um, look, I, I got diagnosed uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, depression, anxiety. And um, the, I did go through a period where I was really untrusting of, of people around me Um as far as like just making friends and then adults and healthcare providers, especially mm. I, I distinctly remember a conversation I had, I won't name the doctor or the hospital, um, but I had been 
brought in because I'd had, um, I used to call them drop attacks. Um, mm. I was at school and I just dropped and hit the floor and blacked out completely. Um, and I was just in pain. I woke up hyperventilating and my chest was really hurting. I was like feeling like a squeezing feeling. And by the time I got to the hospital, it had stopped. And we now mm. know that was an SVT attack where my heart was racing really, really high. Um, but it it has a, it can correct itself essentially. Yeah. Um, and that's what had happened. And that's what had been happening in short bursts. But we never were able to get the leads on to, to catch it happening at the time. I had a doctor look at me in the face when I was 15 and tell me that I was a, a lying, over-exaggerating young little girl who was just pretending to be sick for attention and I needed to go back to school and put my big girl pants on and grow up. What the hell? And then I came back two months later and had a heart attack and he was my yeah. attending doctor Yeah, and he had to apologize to me. Um, yeah. And I'm actually kind of mad low-key that I didn't sue him because I should have. Yeah. <laughs> so Scott, so, it's the time has passed now, but like things like that stick with you. And yeah. I've gone through easily five years of therapy um to work through all of that trauma and break it down. Um, you know, I've had over 50 hospitalizations now, and a lot of them were short-term ER visits, mm-hmm. but there were a number of them that were ex- prolonged stays in hospital. And you see and hear a lot of stuff as well in those settings as well, which can be quite confronting. Um, But I I like to think I've processed it fairly well and I've adjusted pretty well. Um, And my whole aim is to provide the voice on, you know, for other people who are going through it to know that that's not, they're not alone in that journey. Like it's, and it's a shit thing to know, one, that you are alone and that mm. you're not alone because that means somebody else is going through the same thing, yeah. um, which just points out more problems in our healthcare system. Yeah. I think for me it was probably, I mean, probably a good thing looking back at it. I didn't really think about my health at all. Like I was always sick, always getting injured and stuff, and that's just how it was. And just my mom dealt with it. She took me to doctor visits. She talked to them. I just sat there being like, honestly, I don't care. Um, so I think that like I didn't have to like there could have been doctors that were like judging and I wouldn't have even noticed to be honest I think that was probably a good thing retrospect um, even though I had to then learn how to take my health seriously when I became an adult but I just kind of ignored it it was just like that thing I didn't really care (laughs) that much about it well it's good though that that's the case if that was your experience Mm. that means you probably came in with people who weren't like they were probably the right people for those roles yeah um unfortunately I think there's a lot of people who go into the medical pathway who who lack empathy and compassion yeah and and they do it because for whatever reason like they might have had passion for it at one point or it could have been an expectation set by family or um different things like that but once they're in it it's it's patient centric it's it's not just body parts and medications you know and blood tests it's that's a person that you're talking yeah. to and you're treating and I think that is something that is missed um it's it's lacking in healthcare, and I think yeah. consumer advocacy being ingrained in education and training tools on the way through is a really important thing that needs to happen yeah yeah well unfortunately I learned that once I became an adult I had to do everything myself um yes so uh, do you have any medical PTSD? Um, so do you find it, you know, having medical procedures, seeing doctors and stuff, do you find that easier now or harder? 
It, it depends on what's happening. Um, when I'm having a flare up, I get very triggered because I know how much pain and suffering I'm about to go through. Mm. And the unknown of how I'm going to be on the other side of it is really hard. And functional neurological disorder is really not very well understood. It was lumped into that category of conditions uh, that was labeled as female hysteria. Um, and that sort of stuff. Conversion disorder was a previous name of it. And um, you you go into a hospital um, with that and people just don't believe you. They just go, oh, yeah, well, the, your brain's fine. Like you, there's no emergency happening, but mm. your whole body literally goes into shutdown panic mode and it's really, really triggering. Um, I have this thing where if I know I'm so unwell that I have to go to the hospital, I will wait as long as possible because I yeah. genuinely do not want to go. And and yeah. just going through the process of going into the ER and waiting and then having to explain and relive everything, every it's just that process is really hard. I, I think to, um, you know, normal doctor's appointments and physio and stuff like that, no problem because that's like a routine part yeah. of those bigger things. I really struggle and specialist appointments to, um, especially when it's a new specialist that hasn't seen my documents or my files before or and I haven't spoken to them because I've got to, I have to open up and relive everything and retell yeah. them everything from scratch. And and that's hard to do as well. Yeah. It's like opening up new wounds. And you're hoping that the person you're telling actually believes you and is wanting to help you. Um, you know, I'm on my third neurologist right now because yeah. the first two, it's just nothing. So what's like the biggest thing that you would want to see a difference in when it came to healthcare? I think more of a focus on patient experience and yeah. mental health support, I think is probably big Um Recently, I had to go to a mental health support clinic for um, a family member, um, which is a new initiative that the hospital and health service in my region is conducting. And basically, you you go in if you're feeling like really low, you're going through like a manic stage or anything like that. And and this family member of mine was going through a really bad manic depressive state and was having suicidal ideation and hearing thoughts in their head that weren't great. Um, so we went there and the, the level of service and compassion that was there, that needs to be brought across into every healthcare setting. Honestly, it was insanely good. And the information that was provided, there was like a pack with handouts and everything in it. Um, there were referrals to relevant areas to, for follow-up care. There was a callback service. Like mm -hmm. if you go into the ER today and you're having chest pain and they go, there's nothing wrong with you and then discharge you. You do not get a call from your doctor. You don't get a callback service. You don't get information pamphlets or anything like that. They just let you go. Um, and that's hard because if you're told by multiple, like, again, you go in, nothing's wrong. You go home, but the problem hasn't resolved. Yeah. That's not helping. Um, so that's, that'd be the biggest thing I would say is it's like, yeah, the information, the compassion and the mental health support um, are really core things that are missing. Yeah. And how old are you now? I'm nearly 28. Yeah. So obviously you're not a child anymore, but still quite young and obviously still a woman, which is a whole thing in healthcare. Do you still feel like you experience like a bit of ageism, people not Absolutely. taking you seriously? All the time. Yeah. Because this is the thing, like one, one of the conditions that we're reviewing um, for likelihood at the moment is lupus. Mm. And um, 
it fits a lot of things that I'm dealing with. Um, yeah. In conjunction with FND, I definitely have FND, but there's other symptoms there that don't link in with any of my existing diagnosis. So I've been going back and forward with tests and MRIs and all sorts of stuff. Um, and, you know, taking that to a doctor and being like, hey, I've done some research. I think I have this. You know, the first thing they go is, Google, it doesn't give you a qualification in medicine. And that's yeah. fair, but like, I'm not just going to WebMD. I'm no. looking at like scholarly articles. I'm reading through and do my research because I know that my doctor's not going to do that in a 15 minute yeah. appointment, you know? Um, so if I go, hey, I have all of these symptoms. Can you please run these tests to check X, Y, Z? I've got to be really strong and advocate. So gone in with the other approach of, oh, I'm not feeling well and I'm having this, you know, happen. And they go, oh, it's probably this. And you get dismissed. They don't actually go in and do more. Yeah. So if you if you come in and you've pre-prepared information and gone, yeah, this is the situation. Um, I've, I've had to make myself uh, medically literate. Um, and I did study in healthcare and became a phlebotomist. I was doing mm-hmm. uh, blood collection and all that sort of stuff for a while there. Um, but unfortunately, when my health declined again, I started to develop a tremor in my hand. And uh, you can't really take blood from someone no. with a needle if your hand is shaking everywhere. People don't like blood tests already. No. That doesn't really help. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I've also got medical terminology under my belt as a result of that. Um, so when I go into these settings now, I can advocate very strongly um, and I understand some of the lingo and different pieces. So when they go, oh, I don't think that will work. I can go, is it because of X, Y, Z and this medication I'm on? Yeah, that's why. Okay, why don't we do it this way instead then? You know, I, I've i had to develop that over the years. Yeah. That's not something that I was taught. I, I did not have those skills to start with. And if I was able to do that from a young age, I think it would be very different. Um, but yeah, disproportionately, 100% age, um, you know, you're too young to have that condition. The SVT that I had is common in people 45 and over. And I had it when I was 16 and younger. Um, yeah. That's the first one. Lupus is another one. If I actually have that, you can have it at any point and it's more common onset from the 20s, but it, it does come in a little bit later and they're like, oh, you're young and you're healthy. It's probably not that. Um, and you just kind of get shunned back. And as a woman, you would know as well, the disparity in, in um, pain relief Hmm. provision if I was a man coming in with abdominal pain they'd be like oh my god give that man some endone and and dope him up you come in as a woman oh it's probably just your period cramps honey take an ibuprofen and go home you know so I I struggle a lot with that and again like when when I'm in my like focus like strong I'm going to come in and get answers, heads, mindset, then it's fine. But if I'm in a vulnerable state and I've just gone through a flare up that's triggered my PTSD, I'm anxious, I'm upset, I'm crying. It's very hard to be strong and to advocate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I basically diagnosed myself with EDS. Like it wasn't a doctor who found that. I came across it on the internet and then I did like months of research on it. The specialist I tried to go to was terrible and I knew straight away that they had very like outdated knowledge because I had done so much research and they dismissed me and then I just had to go I went to this other GP I picked like the youngest doctor I think in my area and I just took the diagnostic criteria I was like you're going to do this with me 
And I mean, luckily he was a bit like nervous and shy because he was so young. So he did it. I don't know if an older doctor would have done it, but I was like, you are going to do this with me. I don't care if it's like not, I just need someone to do the diagnostic test with me and just do it and say yes or no, not just say, no, you don't have it. Even though I haven't examined you or done anything. It's just my like, oh. That's what they do. They don't yeah. even check you over properly. They're just no. like, oh. And, and then, you know, it's it's challenging as well, like, for me, with the type of heart condition I had, I don't have that 24-7. So, you know, I might not be having a heart episode yeah. when I'm sitting in the office with you. Or even for the 24 hours I'm wearing the leads, it just may not be happening in that exact yeah. 24 hours. It doesn't mean it's not happening. So- yeah, when I had heart palpitations, they gave me a halter monitor. And it was mostly fine for majority of the time. And I was like, like every time you test my heart, like nothing happens. <laughs> it's, it's actually really frustrating though. I was I was reading um an article as a girl who had been having seizures, um grand mal seizures, and um they couldn't tell her where it was coming from, and like it hadn't been witnessed, yeah. and she'd had multiple EEGs, and they'd been told multiple times that there's nothing there, there's nothing yeah. there, there's nothing there. She had a seizure in her neurology office, and they witnessed it, could not ignore it, and then went back over all of her results. And there was evidence the whole time that it was there. They just overlooked it. Like, yeah. And the same thing, my heart condition, I was told it was all normal. When it came back to it and they went back through, there was evidence for it the whole time. Yeah. It's yeah, just it awful. Is, <laughs> it is, it's really exhausting though. I feel like I'm my first doctor and then I have an actual doctor. Like I, yeah, it's exhausting having to, like I feel like that's what I should be going to the doctor all the time, right? They should just be able to deal with it. But I feel like I have to deal with so much myself firsthand. It's hard. Like I, I actually have had friends who have been like, have you considered studying medicine and going in and becoming this? And I'm just thinking, oh, my God, no, I could never no. do that. It's so much already just to do it for myself. No. Um, And, you know, I, I get it, though, as well from the doctor's side because, like, yeah. I, I now work in healthcare recruitment. So I yeah. actually – my, my biggest passion is to put people in place who are going to be empathetic, patient-focused, and are not just there to, to get their money and go home, you know? It's also mitigating burnout in healthcare, which is a major factor because there's not enough resources and help for them to actually help people the way that they want to help people. The system's not set up for yeah. it. Um, so, you know, I um, speak with nurses and doctors all the time and talk about their experiences and their education and, and everything and... Um, the stories that they've got too, it's, it really makes it highlight to me that it's, it's, it's basically educated guesswork is medicine. Um, You know, you, there's no, you, you watch TV shows like house, for example, and the guy comes in and just like, it's this. And then they work it out inside an episode and everyone gets better and it's cured, you know, Um, not the real world doesn't work like that. And you can think you've got something and then the blood tests don't, support that um or maybe it just wasn't the right test but then you've got to have the broader knowledge to know exactly what tests to do to even check the things you know yeah um so it, it's a huge thing and and there's a risk you know if you if you say to someone oh yeah you do have this you're putting yourself on the line saying that they have a condition and if it turns out down the track that they don't have that condition that opens you up to be liable so i do understand hmm. the reluctance um yeah. but i don't I don't think it's right and it, it's it's not the right way to go about helping people. Yeah, like I had a doctor's appointment the other day um, and she's still a bit of a new doctor. I've only been seeing her since the end of last year, since my other doctor left. And it was really nice. 
um, because my bloods came back and she noticed something because this was like my third blood test with her and I was going to bring it up with her. And then she just had already noticed it herself. And I was like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> I didn't even have to draw your attention. To it. Oh, see, I, I've gotten into the habit now. Every time I have any sort of test run, I ask for copies of everything. Yeah. Um, because especially with blood, um, because doing uh, pathology, like I don't interpret results, but yeah. I know with certain things, like I understand what they mean now. I understand the terminology. I understand yeah. what the... Um, normal ranges look like yeah. and where that data comes from and how it's actually calculated so like you know it's based on population data um so you know you could be showing as low right but that's based on average so for yeah. you that could be really low um for example uh iron ex- your iron levels if you go have a blood test um you could be you know sitting at, at 30 and then that's considered fine but then you go down i think it's below 15 I could be wrong mm. off the top of my head um but you know you could be sitting on borderline iron deficiency at 18 and yeah. um that could be really critically low for you but based on the population average that's still above normal so yeah I get copies of everything now and I highlight any anomalies and go cool this has been the consistent pattern can we look at this more closely um yeah. which is is hard because I shouldn't have to do that that's sort no. of what you pay the doctors for and appointments are only getting more expensive too literally it's like 80 dollars like a 15 minute appointment with a $40 rebate it's ridiculous awful so thinking back to like your time at school and all of that time you missed you know obviously it's important to go to school but do you really think it has greatly impacted you I know for me like it was so controversial I feel like back in the day for me missing so much school and it was made out to be such this big thing and obviously I try to go to school but like I still went to university. I still have a job. Like, yeah. do you think there's a, maybe a bit too much pressure oh, put on kids for it? Absolutely. There's too much pressure on kids, period, mm-hmm. whether you're sick or not. Like I think um, the, the, the pressure that's placed there that you have to make a decision about your life pathway at yeah. the age of 16, 17 years old, mm-hmm. and that's your career path and you stick with that. Like I don't think that's right at all. No. And I think there are so many pathways out of school that we don't talk about more. Like most people think, okay, you can either have a trade or you go to uni. Like that's, yeah. that's what you do, right? What about starting your own business? What about becoming financially independent? What about, um, you know, there, there's so many different ways that you can actually go out and do things. You don't even yeah. need to have a great school when you graduate school because there are bridging courses you can do to get to where you want to go anyway. Um, you know, and I think, Looking back, um, I took on a lot of extra studies at the time. I think I was I was doing a cert three in business and a cert four in justice administration while I was doing, um, you know, really high level OP subjects at school, which was an enormous amount of stress and work. Yeah. Um, plus working as well. I had two jobs, so it was it was a lot, and I really didn't need to do that. <laughs> yeah, and I shouldn't have. Looking back, I'm just like, no, no, no. Like it, it gave me a leg up, but at the same time, it actually knocked me back a lot too. Yeah. Because if I'd actually had the time to properly rest and absorb the information that I was able to get, um, I would have probably been more successful following out of high school as far as my career pathway, because I would have been able to, you know think more carefully about my pathway, what I wanted to do, and then select something that I was really keen to continue with. Yeah, there really is so much pressure. I 
always like I think I'm 25 and pretty much everyone I know that I went to uni with has had like a career change in the past like two years because they picked those careers when they were 17 That's <laughs> and it. now and now you're in your 20s and you're like oh wait I actually don't like this it's crazy and like I I went to uni and dropped out mm. because I um I got really sick again. I yeah. keep getting sick. It knocks me yeah. out. Um, it's just, just the common theme. <laughs> so um, we just had to, you know, that's the problem. The, the common thing throughout my whole life is I keep getting sick. And every time I start something new, I'm like, this will be better and different and it's not going to happen again. And then it does. And I'm like, oh, yeah. so now I have to sort of adapt my thinking and how I can make better accommodations for my own health in whatever things I choose to do. Um, but I digress. I essentially um, went and uh, started my own business from scratch and ran it on the common sense and skills that I'd built up from school and some of my certs and things as well. Um, and I managed to get myself full-time equivalent yeah. work within two months of doing it. Like it was, it was great. Um, when I went to uni, the content that they were teaching in the business degree was out of date by a long time like it yeah. was irrelevant and we were studying old marketing techniques when yeah. we had social media platforms and we I'm like where are we learning about how social media works and algorithms and content creation like that's where the world's going why are we talking about billboards like <laughs> this yeah. isn't this isn't relevant anymore like yeah. tv marketing really like it's a it's an element but should be you know so i think you can actually learn a lot more um being out there in the real world in and there are so many um accessible education platforms now as well yeah, yeah well i mean as someone who graduated from uni I, you didn't miss a ton to be <laughs> honest i think the first like maybe year was okay and it was like very basic knowledge. But other than that, like the only, you know, I studied like media and communications. The only kind of point was to have the degree because people won't hire you without the degree. But I like instead of focusing on grades, I did internships and I worked. And that's where I learned everything. I didn't really learn that much it's all from theory. uni. Yeah. But it's it's all theory that's outdated. Like it's good knowledge to have. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. It's nice to know, but it's not actually going to really help you um, with the skills side of things. Like if you're yeah. not actually doing the hands-on stuff and problem solving and, you know, using all the different tools and things that are available out there, you don't actually, you, like there's the, there's the saying, it's like you, so many people graduate and then they have to go work at McDonald's or in retail because yeah. they don't have skills and experience in the profession yeah. that they're actually qualified in. Yeah. I don't think I wouldn't have, would have got a job like, wouldn't have had like any skills if I hadn't have done internships. Yeah, like um, I don't know where I would have learned anything. It's crazy. And like the other thing too, like I'm um not that much older than you, but yeah. I've I've got a lot of friends I know who never left uni because they've changed their mind on their degree four or five yeah. times. Um so you know, uh career students, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And then some people who are just absolutely gone through, stayed in the same degree, done so well, gone all the way up to the top, PhD. Yeah. Um, and now they're a professor and they don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's, and, and you're allowed to change your mind. I think yeah. people, you know, go into things and then they go, oh crap, you know, this isn't what I wanted to do. And they commit to it because they just double down and they've made that decision and they're going to do it. Cause that's what they're going to do. That's what their choice is, which is nothing wrong with that either. But, you know, ultimately are you happy in the, at the end of it? And, and that's what we're seeing as well in healthcare. Um, as people go through it all and COVID really impacted a mm. lot 
Um, and we lost a lot of really good um, healthcare providers in that time frame because they just got completely burnt out. Um, but everybody has in some way been impacted by COVID. Um, it's just unfortunate. Like I've had some really good doctors and nurses who have just gone, you know what? One, I'm not being paid enough to, to work like this. Um, I want to have a life outside of my job. And two, the people who really cared about that empathy provision um, started to become apathetic to patients because it was just, they were tired and burnt yeah. out and stressed. So they're just coming in. They're just like, don't care, you know? And, and when you recognize that within yourself, you know that it's the time to move away from that. Yeah. And if, if there was someone, maybe young adult, teenager who is having health problems, um, maybe they're not being believed, what advice would you give to them? Oh, I just, yeah, I've asked, been asked that question before. <laughs> and I think, I think I try to think of the person that I needed um, when I was that age. And I would say um, to anybody who's going through that for the first time is don't give up. Don't allow yourself to be gaslit. Um, if you feel something in your body, you know that it's not right. Don't take no for an answer. Um, you know, do your independent research and not just on WebMD and Google, you know, <laughs> go and have a look online, go through the medical journals, um, speak with people in different settings. Um, and by different settings, I mean, you know, go and speak to your GP, talk to a physio, talk to specialists, ask for the referrals. And if you're not getting answers with one GP, I'm not suggesting doc doctor shopping by any means, but find someone who will listen and take you seriously and at the very least run the basic tests. Um, and the other thing I would suggest is that if you're told no by a doctor, tell them that they have to write in your clinical notes that they told you no. And then nine times out of 10, they will make you go do the test because they don't want to be liable if you were right mm. and they didn't check it. So that'd be my advice. And also seek mental health support. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's you know, probably therapy, important. therapy everywhere, man. <laughs> I don't care if you're messed up or not. It's important. <laughs> <laughs> Megan, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, where can we find you? Yeah, so I hang out on LinkedIn and Instagram mostly these days. Um, so my Instagram is just at Megan Hackwood and so is my LinkedIn. Um, I am on TikTok, not a lot there at the moment, but I'm slowly building up content in that space. Mm -hmm. And that's just uh, at call me Meigs underscore at the end. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's where I am. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Don't forget to subscribe to get our episodes every two weeks and to leave a review if you are enjoying the podcast. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Sick of It Podcast and Instagram at Sick of It underscore podcast. I'll talk to you soon.